Hi there and welcome to another episode of African Business Stories, your insight into female innovators and entrepreneurs building and running businesses in Africa. I'm Akego Koye and on the show today, I'll be chatting with Flora Mutahi, founder and CEO, Melvin Marsh International, owners of the Kenyan household brand Melvin's Tea. Flora trained as an accountant, but her desire was always to go into manufacturing. She came into the tea business just as the monopoly was being lifted. In the process of starting her business, she was asked, who do you think you are taking on these tea giants? That was 25 years ago. Flora shares with us lessons on how she was able to build Kenya's largest flavored tea brand and how today she mentors young entrepreneurs. Let's get into it. Hi, Ms. Flora, and welcome to African Business Stories. So good to have you here. I mean, there's so much to cover. Um, maybe it would be best if we just start with 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 um, you telling us about your journey. How how did it all begin? All right. Good evening. Like I said, my name is uh, Flora Mutahi. I am um, entrepreneur. Something I love very passionately. And really, my journey began with um, a lot of indecision, a lot of, um, I was just not sure what I wanted to do because 25 years ago when I was starting my business, entrepreneurship was not something that was glorified. In Kenya, it was around um, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be a, you right. know, be a professional. And um, so business was taken to be for failures. So going through my, my, my school, you know, my college life, um, as I was doing my A-levels, um, the career master would always ask me, what you going to do? And I said, I'm going to do business. And he was like, what was that? And I couldn't, I couldn't actually express myself. There was, I didn't even know the word entrepreneurship. I don't even think it was, you know, anything out there. So after, after I, um, <laughs> he harassed me a lot and I decided, well, my father said, listen, you're good in accounting. So say you're going to do accounting. So I said, I'm going to do accounting. And, um, you know, that's what I ended up doing. I came out, I started doing my professional exams in accounting. Right. And I got a, a, a job in a law, in an accounting firm. And you begin at the bottom of the rank, which is auditing. So I go into auditing and um, it was far out in the industrial area, dirty books. You know, people start, come and say, please do write up my books and do my audit. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what would it take for me to be that side of the table? And I'd find myself even when right. I would go to audit the firms. And funnily enough, I did go to audit firms in the industrial area, so manufacturing firms is during the breaks, I'd be on the floor and I'd forget to come back to, to the, you know, to do my work. And my boss would come and say, what have you done? And I'd be like, oops, you know, I literally got carried away with these machines and I'd ask the production managers, how does this work? And, and I saw several factories, you know, doing this. So then um, as I was doing my professional exams, one, one day, one of the deans of the campus calls me and says, come here, young girl, who pays your fees? And I was like, mm, what's that supposed to mean? So he says, it's obvious you're not the one who pays your fees. And I said, why? He says, because I've noticed you cut class, you barely pass. I was, you know, and he said, why are you doing this? And I said, um, because I can't, I was, I'm not sure what I want, but I know it's not this, but I'm not. And he really hmm. challenged me and he said, listen, you're creating a habit that is going to follow you for the rest of your life. Be true to yourself. If this is not your calling, get out and go and find what it is. And I said, oh, I'll be, you know, I'll be killed. I'm still living at home. And, you know, he was like, I think you need to be true to yourself and to the ones around you. Two days later, I wrote a letter and I quit. And, of course, like I thought, everything happened, you know, threats, you know, you're a failure. From my boss, who was my mom's friend. Um, but they did take me in. It was not a lecture. It was a little around, are you sure you know what you're doing? What are you doing? And to put myself in their mm -hmm. shoes, this is the child who doesn't really know what they want, but they know they don't want this. It was difficult, I guess, even for them. Um, so um, she told me a word I will never forget. So he's the one who told me, be true right. to yourself. And she told me that um, whatever you do, have a legacy, build something that has a legacy. And she showed me a couple of her clients who had done like trading, you know, buying, selling this, that, and the other, whatever the flavor of the month was. And uh, she showed, she said, look at look at their revenues now, they're down. So whatever you do, build a legacy. So with that nugget of thought, then I got home and that was another story. We didn't, we, we, we had a push and pull for three weeks with my parents. But in those three weeks, I had a friend who I kept telling, this is what I think I want to do. And he helped me crystallize a lot of things. And so I came back and I said, I want to I manufacture. 
And then it was the question, what? And I was like, I'm not sure. So again, I ran away and then I go and look and I came back and I said, we don't have free flowing salt in Kenya. Let me pause you a little. So when you were, I mean, I read somewhere that you literally, after taking your exams, you literally only worked for nine months. Yes. So I know that it took you, so from your story, it took you two days to, to writing that letter. But over that nine month period, you were struggling with this whole idea of, of being an auditor, being an accountant. So it wasn't just the two days, right? It, it was it was throughout that period. Yes, it was actually throughout from my A level, from my A levels. Then of course, you know, when you're doing right. a degree, you're doing a degree. So nobody bothers you at that stage. But as you're getting towards the end, there's always what's your path. And I said, oh, I'll be an accountant. So yes, but definitely the nine months were not even solid. I mean, I would misbehave if I hear somebody's going to Hong Kong to buy stuff, I'm off. And I miss work for a week and I come back with a long story and she just gave me a lot of grace. And, you know, um, so definitely it was not my calling. But what it did for me is it helped me lay a very firm foundation. I mean, I guess I saw the space that I wanted to play in uh, right. manufacturing. I, I um, So it, obviously when it came to what do you want to do, I said I want to make something because I had seen it. Make something. Yeah. I mean, I had been into a factory that does uh, wheelbarrows, sweets, cornflakes, nails, I mean, you name it. We had done. I had done quite a bit, so I had seen a lot. So I decided, and it's it's some it's a habit that has followed me all along. I never go down the beaten path. I will always try to create something unique. So right. Then I said, free flowing salt is not in the country, and then um, you know everybody's like, what's that? And I said, it's salt that flows freely. You don't have to keep adding uh, rice in the salt shaker. And um, you know the biggest question: Where are you going to know how to do that? I said, I don't know. And then I said, listen, knowledge centers. So I went to the university, which which was not too far from our house. And I met a mm. professor of food science and I introduced myself. And um, he's like, so have you studied food science? I said, no. And he said, so why are you in this space? And I said, because I can see an opportunity. <laughs> so I I lived um, with that opportunity. Well, I, I, I sort of started learning with him. So he would teach in the morning, but in the afternoon, he would tell me, come for the next three weeks, I'll teach you the principles of what you're trying to learn, which is the principles of mixing, how to mix. You can't just take a small quantity into a big quantity. You've got to graduate it. And then he said, now you need a ribbon mixer. So we're going to get that. I said, I don't know. And was, was he teaching you for free? Was he teaching you? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? He lit I think he was completely fascinated by this childhood. I mean, I went into his office. I introduced myself. And we would just chat for the next three weeks um, every afternoon. Every single afternoon. And um, wow. from there, then he would send me to industrial area and I'd go find out who makes these machines. And then I, when I walked into, I found, finally found people who'd make them. They say, go bring us a design. We're engineers. We don't, we don't know. So then I had to find somebody who could make a design for me. And he said, there, I can't help you. Right. So again, I went out into town and I found an organization that helps SMEs, you know, design. So they designed for me. All this is still for free. And, and I was still wow. meeting a friend of mine who was an economist who was helping me like put together my ideas and document them and what goes before what. But interestingly, when I have all this put together, I come home, I was living at home, and I tell my parents, okay, now I need money to start my business. And they're looking at me <laughs> like, what could you be talking about? We took you to school, you quit on us, um, you're on your own. And I'm like, no. And they said, imagine you're on your own. So I didn't believe it because this is the first time my parents, I, I, I noticed that I'm, that I'm female because my parents brought us up very equitably. My brothers cooked breakfast, I cooked lunch, somebody did dinner, somebody cleaned up. So I, I never, ever felt that there are different um, scales. But to them, they said, listen, girls get jobs, girls get married. I was like, wow. wow. Okay. So I'm having to grapple with that. I'm having to grapple with not being at work. Um, so, and I'm having to grapple with, I need money. So then I went out again and I found an organization called Kenya Women Finance Trust that had a fund. They say if you, that right. would lend you money. And um, they said, if you put up a security, they'll give you double. So I come home and I say, you just give me, give them your security and they'll give me double the money. And they fought and they still said no. But anyway, eventually the female mother um, came <laughs> around and just said, okay, Yay for don't tell your father. <laughs> but this is what I'm going to do for you. So she goes to the bank and she interviews the manager and says, are you sure it is my security? So you're not giving her my money? No. So I'll put the security and you give her double, but you 
your responsibilities to you too. And I said, okay. And um, so I signed off the documents and I got my money. Obviously not enough. So I, I cut it into little bits and I went and did some packaging. I went and bought some raw materials and I went and booked some machinery. And I, now I, mm-hmm. I, um, I don't have a location. So I come home and I tell my mom, oh, I've done this and I don't have a location. Fortunately, now she's she's an entrepreneur. She was an entrepreneur as well. So now she's getting a little roped in and she's like, okay, I'll do this for you. I will hire an office space in a, in a mall, by the way, for three months and then we'll see what you do. So we yanked in the machines in the evening. This particular mall was not doing very well. So um, the rents were good. So we yanked in the machines in the evening. I hired one guy. And so we came and would make the product during the the morning. And then I'd go out and put it in my car and go selling in the afternoon. And I did that until, you know, sort of I got the product into the few stores that I know. I mean, right now, in hindsight, it was like a drop in the ocean. But that's what I knew. You know, (laughs) I didn't know better. And so I went, I started going around the hotels and I said, hotels need salt. And I went to this particular hotel and they said, we need a hundred dozens. We are so excited with this product. I'm like, okay, but I don't have that money. <laughs> so I went, I came home again and they're like, no, we gave you, you know. So I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? So my friend's mother who was sitting at home at her house and she said, what do you need? And I told her what I needed. And it was something like um, $300. And she said, okay. And and, and, and I said, I'll give it back to you uh, in a week because I figured it out by the time I make it, deliver it, get paid a week. So I deliver and they tell me and I give them the invoice and they say, thank you. Come in 90 days. I'm like, 90 days. I had done no studying. I didn't understand the market. So they say, but that's how hotels pay. I'm like, what? So I decided I don't take no. I'm not I don't take no very easily. So I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to wear these guys down. So I went every day, every day asking for my money. And I got friendly with one of wow. the managers. And then he started telling me, oh, my mom's doing tea. She's packing tea. There's a government monopoly that has been lifted. So she's she's doing tea. Um, um, so basically, you've got to, um, it, it would be interesting. So I looked and I said, why is she doing tea? I looked at the pricing and I said, I want to do tea because my salt is not working. How long were you? engaged in the salt business initially before i realized that i need another product mm, yeah two months two months because salt is a very cheap commodity so when i started mm-hmm. looking at the offtake i mean a ton of salt was less than a hundred dollars so when i okay. look at the offtake how people are buying i'm thinking this will never make me any money so i said right. okay like, now what i'm gonna do and you should have seen my projections they were huge it's gonna be a millionaire overnight <laughs> <laughs> so I decided, okay, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to get another product. So you, you were looking, you were looking for another product. I had started to open my eyes to another product because in the two months, okay. nothing was happening and orders were going so slowly. They would, a, a shop would take a dozen and, and, and I'd come back in a, a month and nothing as maybe two packets of moved. Of course, remember, there's no brand building. Right. There's, I, I mean, there's so much I didn't know. It's unbelievable. So then um, I, I, I do that and then I, I, I go, I immediately get to meet his friends and he tells me every all tea uh, are done in Mombasa, which is at our coast. Um, I can tell you, he told me on a Thursday, by Monday I was in that Mombasa. I went round, I asked the wow. friends, how do I get registered? They said, you've got to be introduced. I said, can you introduce me? Same day, everything. And then they but you knew nothing, nothing about nothing, tea. Nothing, nothing. But I've been told I have to nothing. register first. So I'm now I'm around register. <laughs> so the friends told me, that's not what you want to do. Why are we signing you in? And I said, because I want to pack tea. And then they said, do you know what you're doing? And I'm like, no, but I'll find out. And they're like, um, we want to see you later. So after business, they said they, they needed to see me. And they told me something that never left me. They said, who do you think you are? How do you think you can just storm in, come into an industry and go up against a giant and a monopoly? So yes, the monopoly has been lifted, but how are you going to build your brand? And I was looking at them like, I just will. Of course, I have no clue what I'm saying. And um, it, w- it was a wake-up call for me. So on my way back from the coast, um, right. of course, because I had to bus it, I remember then coming back and thinking, I've got to do something different. And back to my being different. So I said, hmm. So I come home and then I'm like ginger in my tea and then I sit down. So this particular day, there's no ginger. I'm like, oh no. I go back to the shops, I buy the ginger. Then I said, 
there you go. How many people are like me? And I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put ginger in my tea. So that's what I did. This is amazing. Yeah, this is amazing. So I put ginger in my tea. And um, so, I, so I went back to the same lecturer and I told him, now we have a new project. He's like, are you sure you even settled the other one? I said, no, we're going to go together. <laughs> so we go into how do you do tea? And then he told me, he just told me he can only tell me the principles of dried goods and the principles of mixing, you know, ginger and tea, but he doesn't know much about tea. So I go to, to the, to, to a, I think they're called, um, they're, they're, they manage estates. They're a management agency. And I meet somebody there and I say, I need to learn about tea, how to taste tea, how to blend tea. And he tells, and I tell him what I want to do. And he says, if you are not getting in, in, into it, we could have helped you. But right now we can't. So I say, you've got to help me. There's no school. Well, what am I going to do? So he's very kind. He told me what you do is, um, anyway, since nobody knows you and you're so young, just come in here for the next three weeks, eight o'clock every morning, taste a hundred cups of tea and we'll teach you. And that's what I did for three weeks. Wow. Every morning I'd go there and do a hundred cups of tea and learn, and I learned all that. And this time I'm still talking to Mombasa. I'm, I'm, re- I'm trying to decide what would my brand be? How am I going to package it? So I think within another two, three months, I had another product in the market. Really? So I take it out to sell. And um, the gentleman of the first, there was the largest supermarket called Uchumi at the time. And I walk into this guy and I tell him I want to sell. So first he's like, how old are you? Why, why are you doing business? What made you choose business? You're not, never going to get married. What are you doing? I mean, I got this lecture like half an hour and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, really? So I leave there really depressed because they're the largest buyers. And um, then I get a call next morning, 7.30. He didn't even wait for 8 o'clock. And he says, bring me the ginger tea. I'm not interested in the other one. I have enough. I'm like, you serious? And he's like, yes, I want 20 cases. So quickly I have to go and make 20 cases of, 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 of the product. So I made it and I delivered it. And then slowly again, I started putting it in all the outlets. And then, I, and then lesson number three, I'm thinking, these products are not moving. What do I do? So I decided I'm going to start marketing them. Hmm. I'm not really sure what I'm doing. So I, I would actually now, I said, people have got to taste it. So I started making the tea, putting it in thermoses. And then during the, I would go to the supermarkets and make um, the owner's taste so they buy. But then I said, I've got to reach the consumer. So then I said, because the supermarket, I didn't know the dynamics of how to work it in supermarkets, I started going to all the markets, so open-air markets. So I'd go into the open-air markets with thermoses, and I'd sit with the ladies there, and I'd let them taste the tea, and I'd sell it to them. And every day there was an open-air market somewhere. And then on Saturdays, I decided, listen, just take my big pick. I, I sold my car and got a pickup, and I put some comedians on it. I hired two comedians, and every Saturday we'd just go around talking about the product. And then I made this big life-size wow. size product of, um, I mean, package, a box, or a, a dummy of my product, of my product, and I'd just drive it around everywhere I'd go. So that's so interesting. Just back backing up a bit. So so it's called Melvin's Tea. Yes. And so so what's the inspiration behind the name Melvin's? This was in the nineties when I, um, as well, Kenya, based on our history, remember we were colonized by the British. We want, we, it, it was just fancy to have a, a foreign sounding name. So I just mm. thought, hmm. I liked the name Marsh Limited. When I was told to come up with a company name, I said Marsh. Then I said, no, what is going to rhyme with Marsh? And actually this, we are sitting down now with my mother who now is completely on my boat. Now we are together <laughs> and we are friends. <laughs> and we said, listen, we go to bed tomorrow morning. We have to have a name because we're going to register it. And we woke up and I, I think she's the one who suggested, how about Melvin? Melvin rhymes with Marsh. And that was it. So when I got started when I went to the designer to sort of do a packaging for the salt first and then the tea, um, they said, what's your brand name? And I said, it can only be Melvin's. It sounds nice and foreign and everything. And by the way, for at least, I think 10 years, people thought it was an important product, which was positive at the time. Today, of course, you know, Africans are proud to be African and we are proud to be Kenyan and have Kenyan yeah. sound. But, you know, we registered at that time. So, of course, I've always wanted, I've always thought of creating a story about who Melvin's is, my grandfather. And I said, listen, just be honest. <laughs> this mystery man, tea taster. 
Oh, that's that's interesting. I mean, yes, I think honesty pays. So, so that's yeah. that's very interesting. Um, yeah. and with with how spot spont spontaneous you have been, I'm not, I'm not surprised that you know you made up a name, um, in 24 hours. Not surprised at all. Yeah. Um, so, so in terms of, I mean, do, do you think you were lucky in in those early days? What do you think helped you get through, you know, those those early days of, of building a business with with such limited resources? Resources and knowledge. And, and knowledge, um, yeah. I, I would put it down to, I guess the market was not very crowded at the time. Okay. Um, but I'd also put it down to just tenacity. I, I don't take no for an answer very easily. Um, and also around creativity. So if I hit a bump, I would, in fact, I like saying I, I, my, my answers come in a shower. I take a shower quickly, I've got another answer and I have another one and I have another one. I'm just, so it's it's really around just being tenacious and I speak a lot to people. I am just one, and I keep telling people, do not fear asking questions. Don't, don't fear reading. If you look at my library, it's just full of all these self-help books, marketing, merchandising thing. If I don't understand a topic, I will make sure I understand it. And I will go to the professional to make sure I understand it. So it's really about um, building yourself. Right. Because there are a lot of things you learn in school. As much as I did a business of a commerce degree, these are not things, well, you learned the theory. So I guess it was not foreign. Um, but the actual practice, um, I, I, I will not stop. I will not hesitate to call somebody in. I, I remember when I was starting, I didn't understand marketing very well. So I remember calling a corporate friend of mine who worked in a, in a multinational. And I said, I need you to help me corporatize my business. And I'll just meet her every Saturday morning. And um, she'll just walk me through the principles and tell me, listen, you've just got to get your product in people's hands. And um, today I mentor women, incidentally, uh, women in manufacturing are very passionate about that. And that's what I keep telling them, always be selling, always, always, always. Look at where is your customer? How do you find your customer? Put yourself in front of your customer and let the customer decide. Hmm. So, yeah. so, so compared to, to then, what, what kind of challenges do you face today um, with growing your brand as compared to the challenges you had 25, 30 years ago? What kind of challenges do you face today? Today, my challenges are around scale because hmm. um, I'm, 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 I'm very, very driven. So I want to scale, I want to grow, but I can only do so much now. So I've gotten a team. So I'm, I'm finding myself spending a lot of time. How do I re achieve results through a team? And the team just gets bigger. And then how do I achieve results through that team? And, 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 I, and what I really like, I, I mean, my ideal is really to have a, a, a system, a, a machine, as opposed to relying on Peter, who's good today, and John, who's not good tomorrow. You know, I would rather build systems and processes that anybody can turn around and, and, and I think multinationals are the ones who have really hammered this down to a science hmm. where, you know, anybody can run the system. Well, not, okay, in quotes. Right. But um, really, really, that's my biggest challenge because now it's, you're doing marketing, but you're doing it at a bigger level. You're doing hmm. um, sales, but you're doing them at a bigger level. Hmm. You were asking me earlier about exports. I mean, it's easy to walk around in your own country, but when you have to start walking around in other countries, it's not that easy. Where do you go? Who do you go to? Yeah, talk about Talk to us about that because you know I, I did read that. I mean, you started the company in 1995, but it was in 2004, I think, that mm -hmm. you made your first move um, abroad. So, talk to us about that process of selling it in other markets. Um, yeah, it was uh, what I did is because it's very very expensive to do. Of course, I would look for these um, grants for women entrepreneurs or just for SMEs, and I'd get onto those programs. And I remember USAID was running a lot of them even bring yeah. a consultant, help you, um, help you actually, you know, are you, are you exportable? Do you have the right certifications? You know, is your packaging right? You're, and then they would help you get registered. I think at the time we were aiming for, for America, get registered with FDA. And I landed there and I put my product there and, and, they, and I went for an expo. I went to several expos and you get what firsthand feedback. First, first one is you're coming out of Kenya. Your product has got a British name. So I said, Hey, so I have to create a brand for here. So I did uh, Karibu, Karibu tea. Karibu means welcome in Swahili. 
So I get it. I get onto FDA, and before I know it, I have a legal letter from Caribou the coffee saying that I'm passing off with their name. And Caribou the the animal, you know, the C A. I'm like, really, guys? Mine is with a K. And my lawyer just told me it's not worth the drama. I'm change your name. So then I said, okay, fine. I I I. That's a big investment. So then I decided, let me go with the diaspora. You know, Kenyan diaspora who knows the product from here. So that's what I've, I've tended to do. So right now, a lot of my exports are really about, are driven by third party. It is only now we actually want to go and give a, um, take presence in, the, in, 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 in those countries. Of course, unfortunately, um, what do you call it? COVID has come at a time when this was the year that we were really going to step out big in exports. But um, we still do have our third third party ag- agents, you know, out there selling in several countries. But it's a challenge, and I think that's what I would say is my challenge now. But it's it's, I believe the challenge of the bigger are, are just bigger challenges of the same. It's the same marketing, funding, you know, knowledge. Um, of course, now I don't have a problem with the product. I've, I've had several journey. I've had a, a journey with the product, you know, from, you know. The way people make tea and the way you think people should make tea are different. So sometimes I'll do my blend how you're supposed to make tea, but we don't make tea like that. We just put milk and water and then we throw in the tea. But you're supposed to make tea black and then when it's brewed, then put in the tea. But hey, that's not how it happened. So there were lessons like that that I learned across along the journey that really helped me improve my product. And that's why today when I talk to my mentees, I tell them, Always be front facing. Speak to your consumer every day and twice on Sunday. Hmm. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So I hear you opened a tea house. Yes, I did. I did about six, what that about? six years ago. Um, you know, the retail trade takes your money and keeps it for some time. So how about, <laughs> how about I teach people how to drink tea? How about I, I I play around with different recipes, make tea fun? Because in Kenya, tea is known as an at home drink. You drink tea at home in the morning and in the evening and when guests come. But when you go out, mm. you'll always say, let's go out for tea, but you'll take coffee or a juice or milkshake. So I said, this is what I'm going to do. So we opened this tea house six years ago with beautiful um, recipes, you know, um, what we had a, a mocha, a mocha with tea and uh, drinking chocolate. We had, um, you know, milkshakes out of tea, we had, um, we had we even started little cookies made out of tea. We were aiming for cakes and everything. But I think the way we structured ourselves, the more we chose um, and how we chose to set up didn't really work for us. I think um, if you want to sell tea, a tea house is not, does it, selling only tea is difficult. You need to sell tea and food. And we had not structured ourselves like that. So we've taken a bit of a, a chill pill on that and um, we're going to look at it differently now. We're probably going to go into smaller units where we just serve tea and continue to make tea fun. But it was it was lovely when it lasted and um, we were also actually aiming, when we were coming out of there, we were aiming to go into either busier spots or um, mobile units and stuff. But right now with COVID, I think um, we've shelved that for a minute. And um, I know that you have this whole idea about single origin tea. So can you talk to us a little bit about, about okay. that? You mean the tea? Yes. The 95% of the tea grown in Kenya is sold out in bulk. Um, I guess Africa okay. historically was set up to supply the world of resources. And um, we haven't grown, moved through the value chain. So when I was setting up my business, that was really my passion. I was saying this and I want to see my tea or Kenyan tea out in shelves in the supermarkets. Because today when you go out, you do see Kenyan tea with um, various brands and supermarkets, but it's not 100%, which is where the whole idea of single origin came from. And that still remains my passion. I think today if you ask me what's my goal, it still remains my goal. Um, I do know value addition has improved. I think we are now 3% of the teas already going out in value added form. And I, uh, when I was um, chairperson of Kenya Association of Manufacturers, and really even the government and everything, we really pushed a lot to make sure, and we still do, that um, we do take this commodity seriously and move up the value chain. Um, so, you know, hopefully it's something that um, we are going to continue doing as a country. Because obviously we're, we're leaving a lot of um, value on the table when we are selling it out in bulk. 
Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I mean, I I do I do do some work around the the AFCFTA, okay. you know, and um, and I and I can imagine that um, once that is up and running, it will make a big difference for manufacturing and um, moving goods and services around the continent. And I'm sure, and I know Kenya is leading the way <laughs> in terms of manufacturing. Um, so yeah, so we hope that that um, these numbers will will shift yeah. will shift slightly. Um, you just mentioned that you were chairperson of the Kenya Association of Manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Um, I did see that, and um, there's a program I know for women in manufacturing in Kenya. And I was just wondering what the landscape is like today for for women in in business, entrepreneurs, and women in manufacturing in Kenya? What's the landscape like? Um, they say, I think it's something like, okay, I can't remember what the percentages are, but a huge percentage, something like 85% of micro and small businesses are women. Oh, are women. Yes. And um, th- that's just, you know, entrepreneurs in total doing business of, of, in some form or other. We don't particularly have the numbers for manufacturing, but I keep saying a lot of women manufacture. They just don't realize it. You know, whether I make my side hustle is to make crisps, to make potatoes, to make sweaters and sell them, whatever. It is manufacturing. And so the problem I see is women are in businesses, unfortunately, smaller businesses that they don't scale up because the reason women set up businesses usually is not to grow big, which I think tend to find what men do. They sort of start businesses. Maybe they just want to have want to have more flexibility around their home, or you know they're just tired of business. They they want to chase their passion, but it's it's not always around money. And I want to see my huge industry. So I tend to find um, women in manufacturing are very few, and that's how when I was at the helm of um, Kenya Association of Manufacturing, we began a program with the CEO who was also a lady um, called Women in Manufacturing. And we were just taking all these women and telling them, guys, you guys are manufacturers. So can we scale? What are your challenges? So, um, you know, capacity building, getting funding for them if it's funding, um, capacity building, knowledge sharing, you know, um, standard standards and building standards. Uh, and, and, and it's still growing. It's still, it's still moving. And um, I don't know if you read much about Kenya. Also, our government right now is very, very keen on the, um, growing the SME because it is, it is the engine of, of, of any economy. So um, basically, I think we've seen a lot of traction, a lot of women sort of starting to scale up, but they're not enough large, very few actually, uh, large manufacturers, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of women actually doing it. So our idea is to really see we can nurture it. And we also want to go down to to the schools because you tend to find STEM education is is, is more left for the men, the boys, even in schools. So a girl will, will be told, oh, food science, go do law, go do something, you know, as opposed to why isn't she being encouraged if she's strong in the sciences to remain there. Hmm. The other thing we tend to find with women in manufacturing, even the corporate women who work in manufacturing, when they come out, they want to they want to go into consultancy and i'm like listen guys you understand the space why can't you be a manufacturer when you get out so those are the conversations mm-hmm. we began having and by by even having um the the multi women in multinationals who have really grown you know they're heading the organizations we have fireside chats with them to just help them you know help women really come to terms with um, heavy manufacturing it's not a male it is male dominated but it doesn't mean you can't play them especially you know you find somebody's got 18 years under their belt and then they say I want to be a consultant and you're like please really you know so um i'm encouraged and uh, my 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 mentorship program for melvins is exactly around that as well where we are we are helping women um young young women in manufacturing scale up so like for me, if they're having challenges opening up markets, I'll give them access to my team. If they're not understanding how to calculate their stock levels, I'll give them access to my team because it helps. It helps my team grow. It helps us grow. It keeps us on our toes. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm finding I'm, I'm I'm really really motivated by that program. Please, can you tell us a bit more about that? So Melvin's has a mentorship. Program. Yes, we have a mentorship program where I have a group. Um, I think we've we've just finished one cohort of about I think 12 it is and I think we have another 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 almost 15 20 going on right now so it's a quick eight weeks 
we just hit every single, you know, if it's marketing, tomorrow we're doing operations. So every week for eight weeks, we have sessions. Um, I'm supported by some consultants. And then after that, then they're off to market and we ask them to give us, you know, tell us a challenge. So if um, one of the ones we've seen is somebody wants a door opened, you know, I'm trying to get into car four, I don't know who to speak to. So I link them up with, I could, I call um, the buyers at Carrefour and say, listen, I have these women, they want to, to whatever, can you give them some, some space? And so far, so good. Some have entered, others are selling um, natural hair products. I called one of the largest, um, lady, a lady who has a chain of, of uh, hairdressing salons. And, you know, she said, let them come. And I know one of them, she already gave an order. So it's really just to wow. see what... What I have, if I could make somebody's journey easier and quicker so that they scale faster, I think that would really, really give me a lot of um, satisfaction. I mean, somebody even mentioned the other day from when I started, I've got so much drive. <laughs> I guess I've seen myself clearly, 25 years ago. <laughs> clearly you do. So, so is this mentorship program just for women in Kenya? Funny you ask. Um, we did have three from Tanzania, and I think we also have another three from Tanzania again. So, you know, it's not, it's for the region. We actually said Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania. So Tanzania somehow are the ones who came on. And I remember the Tanzanian ladies were doing, one was, one was doing cleaning um, uh, soaps and, and, and sanitizers just during the COVID season. So she was saying, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. So we were helping her sort out her, you know, her issues. Yeah. It, was, it was lovely. It's, I mean, it's really, really um, fruitful. Yeah, and helping people move it from a side hustle to a main business. Do you have any other products? Have you have you have you tried out any other products, or have we stayed with the salt and the and the tea? We did one time in '04. One of the largest supermarkets, the one that had given me the big order, said, "We like the way you package your stuff. Can you package for us um, rice on contract? You know, contract packing." It's like rice. I know nothing about it. They said, "Well, find out." So I found out about rice. I went and um, Chinese. You know how they do the really good whatever. I got a machine. I brought it in. And before I knew it, we were humming huge orders. And, and you know, it's a commodity. Oh, wow. So you have to buy. And, um, you know, the raw material was um, in one of the farms. So I'd be driving out there. And it's, it, it was challenging and interesting for about two years, th two years. But then the supermarket started getting into some cash flow issues. And what happened is um, I couldn't afford to, 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 to run the business. And I remember going to a financial institution and I meet this guy and I said, I need money. And he says, why? And I explained to him and he says, let me see your balance sheet. So he looks at my balance sheet and he's, he laughs and he says, you know what? Your money is in trade. I say, yeah, but they're not paying me. And he says, then make them pay you. I said, oh, I've been trying. He's like, no, you're not trying hard enough. And he says, do you have a board? And I said, a what? And he says, a board of directors. I said, no, that's for the large companies. And he says, no, it's not. Can you put together a board? I will join your board and call me within a month. And, you know, I went quickly, did my homework and I came back and I said, OK, here, here. I, I took somebody in corporate, two people in corporate and him. And we started having um, board meetings. I called them advisors because of the fiduciary responsibilities. I, I didn't want to go there. And um, till today, I have that board of advisors. And the first thing they did is they said, you, you're, you don't have a clear debtors policy. You're allowing your people, you're allowing you and your people to be bullied. And from there, they and they started pointing out, uh, you know, uh, do you have standard operating procedures? And they really helped me corporatize my business. And I, that's another thing I keep mm. telling these youth: you don't have to think alone. In fact, I remember when I used to have those meetings. The next day, I could take the day off because they helped me make up, to, you know, address so many challenges that I'd been carrying. And I'd be like, few, few, mm. few, few. You know, oh, it was lovely, really, really nice. So that's another nugget um. I, I got along the way. And what do you say to young people today, you know, about how they choose to start the business, you know, and, and run their businesses? I, I don't think there's any shortcut to knowledge. You have to have it. Um, like you hmm. say, um, I was lucky, but was I really? Because I paid the price of, you know, growing slowly. You know, I actually did right, not grow quickly. Right. I remember somebody asking me recently, what would I do? How, if I were to do it again, what would I do? And I would say I would have invested heavier and grown faster, but I didn't know. So I was, I was busy learning. Today, what I would tell people is learn, 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 ask, 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 teach yourself. There's so much out there, so much. 
teach yourself, um, ask people, you, you know, get a mentor, get a, a board of advisors. You don't have to think alone. Um, but always, there's no excuse, like I say, to, to knowledge. It's, you know, even in a court of law today, you can't say, I didn't know, nobody cares. So you really have to know knowledge. Knowledge is important and um, always be learning. And I keep telling people that I am always doing something or the other. In fact, the other day I was, I was saying I'm, I'm COVID out because of how many, no, I'm Zoomed out because of how many, I mean, this, I mean, that, I mean, the other. And so I said, I started saying, gosh, now I have to prioritize what I have to do. And what I've done now is I've, I've given it to my team. And then I say, I want a summary. So all I have to do is read the summary. And what I do know is because they have to give me a summary, then they've listened, which is a win-win then for everybody. So it's been brilliant. I really, um, I really enjoyed the learning. And for me, by the way, if I'm not learning, I'm not challenged. Yeah, I get bored right. very, very, right. very quickly. So I think for me, I just tell the youth to just keep learning. So what's your approach to um, recruitment, to employing people? What's your approach to, to that? I think the best advice I've ever listened, I've ever heard is, um, I'm not sure who said it, but they said, be slow to hire and quick to fire. I have always, I, I was a mess. Incidentally, I would hire somebody because they talked well and they presented well, and then they don't deliver. And I couldn't tell them, this is when I was young, and then I couldn't fire them. So fortunately, my mom is an entrepreneur. So what I'll do is I'll say, I don't like the way so-and-so is working. So she'd pop by and speak to them. And then she'd pop by again and speak to them. And then and then we'd just say, okay, this one has got to go. So she says, fire them. And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> so she would. So so what she would do is she would come and fire them. And then I, I couldn't go to work for three days because I couldn't face them. <laughs> I was a thorough mess at the beginning. But slowly I toughened up and especially incidentally when I started meeting people, they, you know, HR specialists, they say, no, but you don't have to do it badly, you know, help people understand their weaknesses, agree targets with them. And when they're not meeting the targets, meet, speak about it and just say, hey, listen, so and so we agreed. So you have agreed that you're not doing this. You've agreed that you've not. Re so even by the time you're separating, it's clear, you know, the person you're not ambushing somebody. Mm. And for me, that has been one of the best um, pieces of advice I got. The other one we've started doing is um, I don't interview alone. I interview and then um, I would get my mother. She was a silent director, incidentally, so she would interview. And then whoever, whoever's, whoever department that person is coming to work in, they would interview as well. But when it was only me, it would be me and my mother. Then I started calling HR specialists to ask them, what kind of questions would you ask? Hmm. So they'd say, ask stuff like... Um, what are they in their family? Okay, I know now these days, apparently you can't ask too many personal questions, but if you start understanding somebody's pecking order, like a, a last born will tend to be, can either be very responsible or can be tend to be very irresponsible. First borns or people who are supporting already their family, people who have taken themselves through college tend to be very responsible. So the little things that I learned along the way to ask. Um, but again, I read a lot and... Um, of course, now we can afford it. Now we, you have to go through interviews, psychometrics. And um, the, and I still get it wrong. I remember this recently. I, there's this person I really liked, and we even allowed him to come into a meeting because we were so sure we were going to hire him. But the psychometric was totally opposite. And there's a question, do we trust or not? And I said, listen, I'm not going to go against the psychometric testing right. because you know, there's a reason. And I had to let it go. So people are your biggest asset. But can also be your you can that I think that's where you can make the easiest mistakes because one plus one is not always two. Right, right. That's very yeah. interesting. Um, I wanted to ask how how you found. I know that you have three children, and I wanted yeah. to ask how you've balanced raising children and building this business over the last twenty five years. Well, yeah, okay, it helped, I guess, that I started the business before, before I got my kids. Before you had kids, kids yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that, that, was, that was easy. So I remember I would send mails, um, and then they would tell me, was that you awake at 2 o'clock? And I'm like, two. I mean, I had no clue, as in I would just work. Um, so, you know, initially that was easy. And then I met my husband, got the children, and the business was already... I think eight or nine years old so it wasn't too difficult and the minute I got my children incidentally I stopped working on Saturdays okay. and then I, I stopped doing late nights 
But sometimes when the kids go to bed, then I'll start working again. Then then I'll get into trouble in the, with the hubby. <laughs> so it's it, it's really about um, give and take. So I don't work weekends. I don't. I actually don't work both weekends, Saturday, Sunday, and I try not to work in the evenings. But um, when I was at the helm of calm, you know, that's a lot of um, corporate meetings, cocktails, business. And, you know, there's always stuff to do. What I would do is try and have, I, I keep telling people, there's really, there's no day you'll have a, a full, a, there's no, okay, take a week. You, you're not going to have a, bet, a good balance, but you balance it on, you take a longer term view. Mm-hmm. So let's say I, I hadn't been able to be home on Monday and Tuesday, then I guard the rest of the week. Right. Very jealously and make sure. The other thing I would do is um, for children's um, special days, you know, plays and things. I remember being in one of the meetings. Remember, it's still male-dominated. Right. At one of the meetings, and we were supposed to review this guy, and he said he has got to go for a child's meeting. And somebody said, what? Why would he do it? You know, why can't his wife go? And, uh, so I realized, mm-hmm, this is not going to be taken kindly. So all I did is when I had really those kind of meetings, it became a meeting. So I'd actually pick my bag and say, I have a meeting to attend and it's starting at 10. Sorry, guys. And I walk. Wow. So it's really about priority, knowing your priorities. But I must say something. You, you, you then have to have a very strong support. Hmm. So I sat down and I decided shopping can be done by anyone. Right. The, the bread will not change. The milk will not change. The house stuff will not. So I had this um, house help who, who we now we had, um, I would call her an au pair, really. Um, we had... Um, trained her to drive and she was very sharp. Okay. I think it's just those people who missed an opportunity in life. So she used to manage my home a hundred percent. I would wake up and I'd say, I'd, I could call her too and say, incidentally, I'm having some visitors for dinner. I forgot to tell you they're 10. And the question was always like, are they local? Are they foreigners? So that we know what to cook and she'd go ahead and do everything. So I think a support system is really important. My husband also played a big role. He's uh, I'll just tell him, listen, I can't do homework with the kids. I just can't even think. So please do it. And he would. So um, it's really important to have a really strong support. When I would travel, in case he's also busy. So if he traveled, then I'll just dump the kids on my mother or my brother and, 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 and you know, and go around life. So I think strong support, people who understand, people who don't um, make you feel bad. I don't think at any time did my husband or my children really make me feel really mom that you're you're choosing but it also means um you have to keep communication channels open and really question yourself a lot and ask yourself what's important Mm -hmm. that then meant um unfortunately for me that a lot of my social life is what suffered my friends my girlfriends um but i just said guys please forgive me if you love me a lot, let me just do this. It's a season, and it will grow, and it will pass, and it has passed, and I've, I've awesome. caught up with them. Awesome, yeah. <laughs> that's good to know. I've taken a lot of mental notes <laughs> <laughs> as I work my own journey. Um, and so, so finally, I wanted to ask Miss Flora, what's what's next for you? Um, what's next for you? You you've built this this fantastic, impressive business. You're mentoring people. Um, you're you're supporting your government, and and I wonder what's what's next. I think just a bit more of the same because I love what I do. I wake up with a smile on my face. I love challenges. Some get some get you down, but I just love I love what I do. So I will continue to serve. I will continue to grow people. Right now, for the business, what I'm doing is taking more of a. I, I step back. Of COVID was the. One of okay, the best thing that came out of COVID was um, Zoom meetings, working from home. Because I remember one of my, I, I do have a mentor, and one of the times he said, "Listen, are you sure you need to go to the office every day? How are you going to grow people if you're there?" Hmm. And I kept telling him, "I don't know what I'll do at home." And then came in COVID, and now I know what I would do at home. <laughs> and it's interesting. I'm actually those are my thought days. So there are days I just don't go in at all, and I sit down eight o'clock at the, at the table. I actually even work harder than when I'm in the office. And it's really just thinking, where are we going? What am I doing? How am I growing this? What? Why is this not moving? So I'd come back and tell my team, I want to start mentoring you guys. So once a week I do a call-in or if I'm there physically, I actually mentor somebody on what their role, how I see their role. They tell me how they see my role. So it's been really brilliant actually being able to take a step back and grow from behind. And I really think that's what leadership is. Leadership is not what I was where I would ask you to do something. If you haven't done it, I jump in and we get it done. Mm-hmm. Leadership is really 
challenging them, pushing them, helping them grow so that they can carry more of the load and the weight. So really, I think for me, that's what's, what's there for me. But I do have a real estate company that um, okay. that I run. I run with my husband. He's an architect, so it it was the next obvious thing to do. Wow, <laughs> it's not been as successful as Melvin's, but it's another challenge. So that's also another area I spend my time and I keep ma- making people laugh. I know how to sell products that are in my name. Now this is service that is in nobody's name, so it's 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 a totally different ball game. But again, remember, I like challenges. Mm. So I think those are the things I'm going to do next. And of course, now my children are growing. So the mentorship is also coming through them because I'm a doer. I like stuff getting done. So I'm really finding I'm slowing down now and really being very pensive, just thinking, how do I, how do I achieve what I want to achieve? And I believe then I'll get the kind of growth I want. I actually want um, quantum growth now, now that I have the platform, now I want quantum. I'm saying, this is not enough. I'm going to go. And um, then I'm, I'm I'm finding myself making thinking, why didn't I know that before? Hmm. I could have been so much further. Yeah, and I think to to be honest, a lot of people have said that this COVID just forced everyone to stop, you know, yes. and and process and, and you know reset and and um, I feel like a lot of great things will come out of of what seems like such a. a a tragic situation. I feel like there there would be a lot of growth for a lot of people. Yeah. But thank you so much, Miss Flora. It's been amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for um, you know, for the interview and um, I wish you all the best. That was Flora Mutahi, founder and CEO Melvin Marsh International, owners of Melvin's Tea, Kenya's largest flavored tea brand. You know, there were so many lessons in this story. The power of never taking no for an answer, intentionally seeking out opportunities and not being limited by an initial lack of industry knowledge. The importance of giving back and the value of mentoring. We celebrate women like Flora who are blazing the trail for female entrepreneurs in Africa. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please head on over to Apple Podcast or iTunes and leave us a review. It will make a difference to the work we're doing. I'm Akego Koye, and you have been listening to African Business Stories.